you know, we can put in laws and maybe the law isn't going to be as good as what we would like. It's not going to be as strong as what we would like, but let's find other ways to encourage women to go through with the pregnancy, you know, be there to help her, find out what sources, resources she needs. So even if it's legal, she would just say, I'm not going to kill my baby. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm Scott Baker. Where does public opinion stand on abortion? How can pro-life candidates win elections? We'll discuss those questions and more today with Carol Tobias, who is the president of National Right to Life. Carol, thanks for joining us. How have things changed for Right to Life since the Dobbs decision? It has definitely changed. I thought before Dobbs that if the Supreme Court overturned Roe, we would then be going into the states and battling for laws to protect unborn children. Uh, I was surprised by the um, immediate response of constitutional amendments. Um, so that's where a lot of the focus is going. Uh, we need to stop them somewhere. And I'm glad you bring those up because I'm not sure people understand uh, exactly the importance of these constitutional amendments that we're seeing pop up. Uh, one of the results of the Dobbs decision is that um, in many states now, we're going to see battles to have abortion enshrined into the state constitution. Uh, and that is the other side's uh, tactic or response to Dobbs. That's really one of the key uh, side effects that we have seen from Dobbs, for lack of a better term, don't you think? What is happening wasn't unexpected. We knew that if Roe was overturned, there would be some states that would protect unborn children, and there would be states that would protect abortionists. Um, you know, we we knew that there were some states that were not going to allow any limits on abortion, uh, and we have seen them doing that. Um, I always kind of liked it, likened it to you know pro life and excuse me, um, pro slavery and free states that you know, babies would be protected in those free states um, and women would be helped and supported. Whereas I was, you know, putting, of course, the abort pro-abortion states in with the, the slavery because um, it's a huge civil rights violation against an entire class of people. So what happened there was not a surprise. Um, I think what we are seeing with all these referendums, though, is a lot of the people who are uncomfortable with abortion, they don't like it. They think it should be legal in some cases. Um, and if they're looking at abortion should be either illegal in all or most or um, legal altogether, what we're seeing is a lot of them are deciding they would just rather, you know, open it up and and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I love the comparison. And I've I've frequently made the comparison with slavery. Uh, especially in so much that I hope that someday we look back on our, our nation's history and we say, what were we thinking that that was ever okay? You know, uh, yep, that's similarly that's with, with, yeah, with abortion. So, so talking about these referendums and, and so we have seen in a handful of States um, either attempts to codify abortion into the state constitution. Kansas was a little bit different. The pro-life side has not done well. And, and these, initiatives so far and we've got several more on the slate probably for 2024 why why is it that we're not having success and is it a reflection of how the public at large feels about abortion 
the public at large has not really changed their position in 30 or 40 years. If you look at Gallup polling and go back, the, the one I was looking at, um, they asked, should abortion be allowed in all cases, in certain cases, or not at all? You know, And then they take those that say it should be allowed in certain cases and say, should it be allowed in most or very few? And if you look at those those different answers, uh, all cases, um, most cases, a few cases or no cases that abortion should be allowed. The numbers have not moved since uh, 1994. I mean, like one or two percent off in some of those categories. So the public hasn't really changed. What we are seeing, though, is a lot of money and a lot of pro-abortion media framing the debate. Um, you know, focusing on um, women who have difficult pregnancies, uh, telling women that if you have a problem, you're going to die because a doctor will be afraid to take care of you. Um, you know, they have come out with some ridiculous charges and, and, and what we saw in Kansas and um, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of is uh, women will go to jail if they get an abortion. I mean, so it's all these scare tactics funded by billionaires and promoted by the pro-abortion media. And it's it's a tough onslaught to overcome. And it is, and it's significant. Um, in most of these cases, the, the pro-abortion money that has come in has come in from out of state uh, to influence these state elections. You know, these billionaires, like you, you describe, they're, they might be evil in many ways, but they're not dumb. What is the motivation for them? I mean, it's more than just political ideology, is it not? I've been wondering that, and I have nothing to back it up. But I think with so much focus on climate change and saving the planet, I think there is a huge effort to control the population thinking that that would be a way to save planet Earth. Um, otherwise, I, I can't figure out why, you know, some billionaire would want to dump millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars into a state constitutional measure, you know, to legalize abortion. They're, they're not in the abortion. If they're not making money, if they're not the abortionist or in the abortion industry per se, I don't know what else or why they would want to do it other than just to make sure we don't have as many people uh, yeah. being born. Hmm. You talked about the different, when it comes to public opinion, there are different degrees of what people, mm -hmm. people feel, but by and large, people don't want unrestricted abortion yet. That's what we see being codified into law in some of these States and in being proposed in some of these initiative petitions. And in fact, you know, uh, they're succeeding. What, what is it? about the other side's messaging or why in the world are these these initiatives with zero restrictions why are they having success partly because people would rather have some abortions i mean they would rather have all abortions if that means some of them are going to be allowed um, versus versus none but i also had a very wise friend yesterday who pointed out that Every family, almost every family, has been touched by abortion. They, it's either a family member or a close friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Somebody 
I mean, we all know people who have had abortions or we've been, you know, people have been involved in abortions to then turn around and vote to amend the constitution or to defeat an amendment to protect the babies. In effect, they have to say what I did was wrong. What my friend did was wrong. um, It shouldn't have happened. And they're, they're kind of repudiating whether it's their own actions or the actions of somebody that they know and they don't want to be a, they don't want to feel like they're judging them. Um, and, and I, I, I'd never really thought about that before, but I think that could very well play into it. If you're a woman who's had an abortion, are you going to vote that nobody else can do it? Um, if you paid for your girlfriend's abortion or your daughter's abortion, are you going to um, vote to say that nobody else can do it? Um, and and we might it might actually be kind of a psychological thing for many of them. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought of that, but uh, that that could be. The thing that I have a hard time reconciling in my simple mind is, you know, we talk about how public opinion hasn't really changed in 30 years. But yet, as I think about back to the 90s and 80s and 90s, there was there was such a when you, you know, just the thought of late term abortion or anything like that was just a non-starter. I would say it seemed like among 95% of the public. Now, it's not the argument. They don't argue, well, it's it's bad or it's good, it's bad or otherwise. They just say, well, it doesn't happen. They don't say it's bad. It's just interesting to me how they have seemed to move on, like, just like they've moved off the safe legal rare to shout your abortion, right? I mean, that to me is signifies a shift in attitude Uh, the proponents of abortion have definitely shifted you're right when bill clinton was running for office back in was it 1992 it was safe legal and rare and i think that's you know over the years that was kind of telling people well if it's if it's safe and if it should be legal or if it's safe and it's rare you know why should it be legal um what's wrong with it and they had to kind of think about it and defend it in that manner. And I think that was maybe actually hurting them. Uh, and the women's movement, uh, the pro-abortion movement, decided that it was better to get rid of any you know stigma and just say it's you know woman's right and nobody should be limiting it or trying to prevent it. Um, so yeah, so now we're at the point where they are arguing that abortion should have no limits, even though they are unwilling to say it. We've seen Joe Biden and Kamala Harris just in the last week talk about abortion um, and supporting Roe v. Wade and wanting to go back to the Roe v. Wade standard. Well, even that now is a debate within the abortion industry because they don't want just Roe. They want to go nine months, no limits whatsoever. So I would love to figure out how to keep that battle going. Let them fight amongst themselves, but bring it out publicly that they're trying to decide if, you know, a three, four month limit on abortion is bad. And yet they won't admit that they want it for all nine months. So, you know, we need to play that up a little bit. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, let's say, the lack of courage that we see among some of our elected officials Uh, when it comes to the pro-life issue. We'll do that when we come back on Dear Jane. 
Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Are you a pro-life organization trying to make a difference in the lives of abortion-minded women? Look no further than Choose Life Marketing, the pro-life agency dedicated to spreading the messages of hope and love. With expert services in web design, digital marketing, fundraising, and branding, CLM helps you reach those who need it most and provide them with life-affirming alternatives. Choose Life Marketing is your ally in the fight for life, empowering you to make a lasting impact and change hearts one click at a time. Step up and join us in spreading hope to abortion-minded women and transforming lives. Choose Life Marketing, where marketing meets compassion. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Kay Clarity, a pro-life professional singer-songwriter who's working to help those with similar convictions thrive in the music industry. It's very difficult and only more difficult all the time for people like us to do well um, and to, to thrive in any kind of entertainment world if we keep our integrity. <laughs> and that's always the the tightrope. I think it used to be more of a tightrope that was possible to walk. And I think it's becoming increasingly impossible to do that. She says people often don't understand the impact of the messages in popular music today. We have such a deep disconnect between popular culture and how it's affecting the conversation. Because obviously, if you're encouraging people to sleep around, there are going to be consequences to that. And I do think that better culture helps people make better decisions and helps them to to choose what's good. And not in a propaganda way, but in just a real human way, inspiring people that they can be better. Kay says the entertainment industry has changed for those who hold pro-life traditional values. There used to be more middle ground. I mean, maybe we were in denial even then. But I think there isn't really middle ground anymore. There's no escaping taking a stand unless you compromise. And it's going to look different for everybody else. You have to be prudent. You have to have wisdom. But I think often we turn up the volume on what we think is prudence and wisdom so that we can get a pass on having to be courageous. In the end, Kay says it's about standing up for what you believe in, no matter the cost. Who's going to be the sacrificial lamb who loses their career and makes something change? No one wants to be that person. So I'll be the first to say it's not easy. Of course, it's not easy. That's why it's courage. If we don't step into courage, nothing changes. And I would say that the problem of our time is not too much courage. (laughs) And I think if people recognize that, we should be trying to do something courageous every day. hear more of Kay's work, you can visit kclarity.art. Unleash your curiosity, challenge your assumptions, and discover the power of dialogue that bridges the divide. Dear Jane is your compass to navigate the complexities of life's most debated topic. Get ready for a podcast that will make you think, question, and maybe even change your mind. Tune in to Dear Jane and embark on a journey that will challenge your beliefs and expand your understanding. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. And we're back here on Dear Jane, visiting today with Carol Tobias, the president of National Right to Life. We've been talking about public opinion and the overall feel for the issue of abortion. 
and some of the votes we have seen in states after Dobbs. Carol, when you think about pro-life politicians, uh, in my estimation, there seems to be a lack of courage oftentimes when it comes to uh, standing for life. Why do you think that is? For some of them, they're maybe not sure what their position is. Um, And even if they are pro-life, strongly pro-life and can articulate the issues, um, I'm sure the last year has is worrying them. You know, they're being told that this is going to come down on their heads in the next election. Uh, they can't win if if they're pro-life. Um, and I think a lot of them, not that they're changing their position, but they're still trying to figure out what to say and how to present their position that doesn't scare people. You know, we just saw Mexico, com- you know, completely overturn their federal law by a Supreme Court order. Um, down there now, it was the reason given was that women were being penalized for getting an abortion. And yet the pro-life movement universally in the U.S. has never called for punishing the women because they, in many cases, are the are victims themselves. Um, so I, I think for some, it's just kind of a, it's still new territory and they're still trying to figure out how to frame their debate, their position, um, keeping pro-life people satisfied that they're going to be pro-life when they get elected, but not turning off what I've often called the mushy middle. Those who, you know, they want some abortions. Um, They don't necessarily want all nine months, but they want a candidate who is going to recognize that maybe there are times it's okay um, so we've got candidates that are still trying to deal with, uh, figure out how to deal with not pleasing everybody because you can't, but at least trying to mitigate the opposition. How can they talk about it? You mentioned talking about it without scaring people. How can they do that? I think they need to talk about the reasons that women are are getting abortions, uh, reassure women that um if they do go through with the pregnancy, there is help and support available. Uh, we've got the pregnancy centers. We've got so many states now, especially what I'm seeing it come coming from the states that have uh, laws to protect unborn children, new programs uh, to help women through a difficult time, um, maybe ex- extending the time that they are on, on Medicaid, um, helping them with... Um, supplies, uh, taking taxes away from, you know, baby supplies and, you know, diapers. Um, there, you know, the, a lot of the governments have put forward programs to help women like um, South Carolina and Texas have nurses through their health care system that will, or their state health department that will come into the homes if the moms want it to just do basic health and wellness checkups, make sure baby and mom are both doing okay. Um, we've got some states putting together programs so that any woman considering an abortion can be given, or I mean, she does not be considering an abortion. A pregnant woman can be given information about all the resources that are available uh, for her to use and take advantage of, um, both coming from the private and the public sector. So there are a lot of things that we can do to help women. And I would expect or encourage candidates to talk about that, that, you know, I really am caring about the women in my district, my state, you know, the country, that if they're in a difficult situation as pro-life people, we're going to help them. I'm glad you mentioned pregnancy centers. I have a theory. Um, 
because pregnancy centers are so good at what they do, the other side recognizes that and as a result has targeted these centers, um, trying to put them out of business, quite frankly. And we've seen them go after pregnancy centers in different ways, whether it's uh, through the way they market themselves, uh, where they're located. We've seen zoning battles in, in some cities across the country. Um, we've even seen attempts to restrict what nurses can say to clients when they come into pregnancy centers. Um, so I think they really are at the heart of of the battle here, and it's because they're so good at what they do. Oh, they definitely are front and center. Um, we've had states trying to tell them that what messages they had to give to women who come through their doors. Um, California, and we now have lawsuits against um, Vermont and um, there's another state, I'm missing it right now. Um, but they are trying to tell the pregnancy centers that when women come into your facility, you have to tell them uh, where they can get an abortion, tell them that the state will pay for the abortion. Um, you know, so the, and, and that's the Supreme Court has already ruled on that uh, for free speech grounds, but they're still trying it. We have members of Congress who are going to, you know, Google and um, Facebook and all these different tech companies telling them to censor the pregnancy centers. Um, you know, if someone asks for information on pregnancy help, send them to the abortion facilities. Don't let them know that there are other options out there. I think what they are doing is proving um, that the word pro-choice is a lie because they don't want women to have choices. That's why we saw, you know, the Colorado legislature trying to um, enact a law that said any doctor who uh, provides abortion pill reversal services um, would lose his license for medical misconduct. They don't want women to have options. They don't want women to have choices. And yeah, the alter the pregnancy centers are one of the best ways that they can get that kind of information and support. So they are definitely being targeted. What role will abortion play in the upcoming presidential election? It goes back and forth. I mean, I think it's going to be a big issue for those people who care about it. Um, but there are also other issues that could come into play. Um, is Joe Biden going to be on the ticket? And will his competency be an issue? Um, will the climate, the, the, um, and, uh, the budget, the whole financial situation in the country, um, economics be so bad that people want change everywhere? Um, you know, there, there could be several different things that play into it. Um, yes, there's no, no doubt abortion is going to be a major factor. That's why we need every pro-lifer voting and, um, you know, getting their friends and family out to vote. There's absolutely no way we can sit this one out. No, I'm glad you said that because it, it seems that the because of Dobbs, Dobbs has really motivated or energized the other side. And we have to be equally as motivated and energized if we're going to be able to, to counter that. We, we do. And quite frankly, that's one of my concerns right now among the Republican presidential candidates, uh, because some people are saying, well, he isn't or he or she isn't pro-life enough, uh, isn't giving the message that I want. Um, if if we start to fight among ourselves as to which candidate is the most pro-life, which one can express 
himself or herself in the best manner, um, that's going to drag down voter turnout. We have to realize that whoever is in the White House has incredible power. Right now, we are paying for abortions and travel for abortions um, to go out of state if you need to through our vet Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense. We have a Secretary of State who is using any avenue he can to get U.S. tax dollars into organizations going into other countries to kill their unborn children. We have a Food and Drug Administration and National Institutes of Health looking for ways to do research on babies or to um, you know promote abortion any way they can. We have a, a Department of Justice who goes after pro-life people. Um, they aren't defending the pregnancy centers that are being attacked or the Catholic churches that are being attacked, but they are going after people, arresting them early in the morning because they showed up to pray at an abortion facility. I mean, we have to stop the Biden administration or whichever Democratic candidate is in there. And to have a fight among the Republicans as to whether or not a candidate is pro-life enough is not going to help. And I would really encourage pro-lifers to just be open. It might not be your favorite candidate that gets the nomination, but he or she is going to be 180 degrees times 10 in the opposite of direction. So even if the next president is a stopgap, they can make some good changes. They can reverse what uh, the Biden administration has done to get us through four years or eight years. We really have to be conscious of what is happening at the federal level based on the power of the presidency. And we have to stop. It might not be our favorite candidate, but we have to stop Biden or his successor from killing babies for another four more years. Boy, I agree with you. I What you're saying is so right because it speaks to, I mean, there are divisions within our movement, right? Yes, um, there always have been. Right. You know, we get over that. I mean, you know, so looking at presidential candidates, for example, what you're saying is, oh, geez, if they're not 100 percent in alignment with me, I'm not going to support them at all. Right. And that's that's the trap that we're going to fall into. Um, you know, how do you strike the balance when you look at the pro-life movement in general? Uh, strike a balance between allowing a diversity of opinions and, and sort of um, bridging some of the divisions in the movement. Well, we. Different groups probably have different ideas of what the laws should be in the states. And those are battles that have been going on for many years and they will continue. But I think we also need to look at, you know, we've got states that are allowing abortion, no limits throughout pregnancy, taxpayers are paying for it. And it's going to be a long time. It's going to be many years before we can make changes. And, and we don't know if we can even, you know, we'll be able to do that. Can we change the laws in New York and California and Illinois and, and Oregon? But we do have to come up with ways then to reach women so that even if it's legal, they don't want to do that to their baby. You know, we can put in laws and maybe the law isn't going to be as good as what we would like. It's not going to be as strong as what we would like. But let's find other ways to encourage women to go through with the pregnancy, you know, be there to help her, find out what sources, resources she needs. So even if it's legal, she would just say, I'm not going to kill my baby. 
you, it's funny because I had a chance last fall, and I'm going to be able to do it again this fall to speak at a conference where there are about there are state lawmakers from about 35 states or so. And last year, they when the issue of pro life would come up, they would all brag, "Well, we've got the most pro life state, and we've got the most pro life state." And they were talking about the restrictions on abortion, the laws that are on the books. The message that I am just I can't wait to share with them is what you just said having the laws that you have on the books are becoming less relevant it's still good and let's still keep doing that but in the age of chemical abortion and abortion tourism and all of these things we see the the laws that you have on the books are less relevant and the answer is reaching her and telling her there are there's a better option right there in her own neighborhood and that's what we have to invest our time and effort in mm-hmm. uh, from the public sector to the private sector is is regardless of which way these laws go, reaching her and, and helping her understand there is a better option. But it, it's yeah. so true. There are states that we're not going to be able to change the laws, at least for many years. So how do we convince women not to do it? You know, one of the things, one of the illustrations that we can show them is take take anywhere in the country that uh, you would consider to be the most pro-life, most conservative. And there are tens of thousands of searches, Google searches and that sort of thing for abortion every month, Mm -hmm. every month. And so what that says is, regardless of what your local law is, she still needs to be reached. We still need to help her understand, here's why you don't want to go that route. Here's why there's a better way. There are resources here locally and help, just like you talked about. There's help here locally. Uh, we just, we've got to focus our attention on that. All right, so let's let's talk about uh, national right to life. As you look to the future beyond the next election and just uh, how do you think right to life will be relevant to the next generation? We have to keep the battle going because... You know, people that have been involved for a long time are naturally, you know, getting older. Um, some are retiring. Some are, you know, moving on to to greater glory. Um, we have to be bringing in younger people to keep keep this fight going. Uh, and I think I've seen that in, you know, most pro-life groups are reaching out to young people. We realize that they're the ones that are going to be carrying on this battle. Um, and we need to make them realize that the civil rights of these helpless babies, I mean, young people love causes we need to just convince them that the baby and the mother is the most important cause right now because life is precious and that's the heart of why i asked that question as i go around the country and we talk to different groups um pro-life groups you know let's be honest a lot of the activists we have gray hair and and so it's you know we got to make sure that those who are coming up are supported, um, are encouraged to engage. Uh, and I think that that's going to be so, so important. When So when we are finally going to greater glory, uh, they are equipped to carry on this fight. So that's the heart of the question of, of mm-hmm. how are we going to help support that next generation? I think it's out there. They're just, they have different ways. When I got into the movement, it was, handing out brochures and flyers and of course the billboards which are still you know prevalent around the country but our younger people are sending messages to people that they don't know where they are 
you know, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, um, I think a lot of pro-life young people are on these different medias. Um, we just may not know the impact that they are having because yeah. there isn't that kind of immediate personal connection uh, when you hand someone a flyer and talk to them about it. Yeah, and that's so important, and that's exactly right. People will say, well, we don't want any part of TikTok. Why in the world would we want to support Google? Um, but at the end of the day, that's where she is. That's where Whether we like are. that or not, that's yep. where she is. And so we've got to go to where she is if we're going to reach her. So Carol Tobias, National Right to Life, the president of National Right to Life. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here today. So happy to do it. Thank you, Scott. Dear Jane, the Life-Giving Podcast. My thanks again to Carol Tobias with National Right to Life for joining us today. I think it's worth reiterating what she said about choosing political candidates. Very often, pro-life supporters decide they're not going to vote for someone because they're not in 100% alignment. In the end, that only hurts the pro-life side. A candidate mostly aligned with your pro-life values is better than having someone actively fighting against your values. If we can get over this hurdle as a movement, I think you'll notice forward momentum overall. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. I'm Scott Baker. Our producer is Kate Yule. Our editor is Jacob McCormick. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcast or Spotify so you can be made aware of new episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Dear Jane Podcast.